Are you a starseed? Do you have a mission here on earth? Do you sometimes struggle to fit in? You're in the right place. Join me and special guests as we share our personal stories as Galactic Ground Crew here on Becoming Iris. Welcome everybody to Becoming Iris. So if this is your first time joining me, a warm welcome. And if you're returning, thank you very much for listening. Today, I am absolutely delighted to have two special guests, Raymond Tarpey and Earthkeeper. So for those of you who are not familiar with Raymond's work, we're going to introduce what he does. But for the context of this podcast, I would love to introduce Raymond as to who he is to me. So I saw Raymond on an interview with Regina Meredith on Gaia. And I would like to say that at that point, I hadn't really been watching Gaia. For some reason, I was guided to this specific show and it spoke deeply to my soul. And so I kept watching. (laughs) I watched a few episodes and I was so compelled by what he was sharing, what you were sharing, Raymond, that I reached out to you and I looked back as to when this was and it was actually October 2020 so it was this time three years ago Mm. so I reached out to Raymond and we reconnected so it was absolutely magical and I know that there is a lot that goes on when we meet (laughs) but welcome to the show Raymond thank you so much for being here thank you so much for inviting me thank you so when I, I heard you speak, obviously there was a remembrance that took place that I knew you from before. I, I could sense that there was something pulling me. But in terms of the information you shared, a lot of the topics you spoke into really resonated with me and there were things I was interested in. So this was everything to do with the crystal skulls, with Lemuria, with Edgar Casey's work, with all the Mayan tradition and the shamanism and all of the things you shared I was like wow this guy is magical I love everything he's sharing here (laughs) so yeah I would love to begin I guess by introducing yourself so if you would like to speak into a little bit about who you be in the world and also if you could introduce Earthkeeper for those who aren't familiar with the two of you I will do that because my readings were at one level the apprentice level before Earthkeeper. This is the skull, Earthkeeper. And he's nine pounds, four ounces. So I have my son carry him around on the pilgrimages now. <laughs> and there is, if you can see it, mm. there is, oh my God, it looks like a rabbit sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a Japanese woman with a top knot and a mm. baby carrying. So he's, oh, my God, it's a Japanese lady. And I said to my wife, that's my teacher. And my wife is Japanese. I said, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> I and love that. I absolutely rabbit, love that. Rabbits and all sorts of things on here. Every time I look at it, I see something new. I love the so design. How do you come to be the guardian of Earthkeeper. So Earthkeeper is one of the 13 crystal skulls. It's a magical thing. And in the 11-11-11 conference, I appeared at New York at the ARE 
conference and they were arranging Mayan elders for the coming year 2012 to go across and visit the, the mounds and all the sacred sites across the United States and wind up at a con conference of crystal skulls in Los Angeles. And I gave a presentation. There were only about six people that showed up. And then I started to speak about the crystal skull. And all of a sudden, they all started to come because I was into the history of the skull. Uh, in the Mayan world, the skull is the most sacred object. And if you ever read, I recommend people read uh, the Popol Vuh. They call it the Popol Vuh. This okay. is the creation story of the Maya. Mm -hmm. And it is unique and magical. And it's the story of the Christ of the Maya, which are two boys. And when the Maya now look at the Bible, they, the New Testament, they also see the two boys as the Christ. Yes. One boy anointed the Christ. And the second boy went out to perform and uh, complete the mission. And so in the Mayan story, there were two boys and one boy had his head cut off. And that's what happened to John the Baptist. Yes. John the Baptist was buried. Uh, no, excuse me. He had his head cut off by Herod, the governor at the time under the Roman rule. And he, it was, where Jesus was crucified was at the place of the skull. Yes. Called Golgotha or in Latin, Calvaria, Calvary. That's the word for skull. Mm. I love that. And it's actually one of the first things that you shared with me was the story of the skull and the importance in shamanship of having a skull. Yes. And everything that transpires. And so you met Earthkeeper at the 1111 conference. And I understand that he wanted to be with you. So his yeah. guardians at the time brought him to sit with you while you delivered your uh, presentation. And then it transpired that he said he wanted to stay with you. Yeah, they said he wanted to stay with me. And so would you be the caretaker? And I went, <laughs> I didn't know what to say uh, because they're very expensive, at, especially at that time. And so I was just overwhelmed. It was one of the most significant uh, events in my life. Mm -hmm. and, and so eight, how did that change things for you i know that you said it's up it up leveled your your readings but i feel like it's changed your whole life so can you share a little bit about your journey together so far the skull represents the sacrifice in the americas and the sacrifice in the middle east and europe because they accepted the middle eastern spirituality and it is the most sacred thing because the skull represents the head of the first boy, of the twins of the Maya. And that's their names in the Mayan language. And they were the ones who reestablished this creation, the fourth creation. And this is the fourth. There have been many before, but we don't have much record of it because we have something on the earth called the rock cycle and there are no remains. So every part of the earth over time goes into the trenches and gets completely obliterated and burned. Mm -hmm. 
So the earth, the civilizations are really much older than we think. And the skull represents, it's the most sacred object of the Maya, and it represents the destiny of the European conquerors to come up and learn what they actually came for on the subconscious level. They thought they came to conquer and to administer everyone, and they had a belief system, and they could not hear any of that. They, their bowl was full. They couldn't be convinced of anything, but still it remains for the people who conquered the Americas to finally come up and understand that one of the reasons they came, if not the greatest reason, was to learn about another sector of the earth of the, of the five. Yes. There are five sectors representing the races. And each sector has a different consciousness by design. Now, all of this that I say, I don't believe it because I don't believe anything I only study. I love that, Raymond. I love that you always say that because it's very liberating because it's like always approaching life through the lens of of the learner or the student and you are very what we would call a learned man. You've done a lot of study. At the beginning, we didn't really touch on exactly what you do, but you are a linguist. You speak, I believe, Vietnamese, Mandarin, is it Taiwanese, Japanese? Japanese. I speak British, English is German. And you speak British. My people came from Ireland, so I speak British. Yes. And I don't fallen That's the British language. Yes. When the Germans came after the fall of Rome, they took over every country in Europe. France was taken by the Tfanks, the German tribe. Charlemagne spoke no French. He spoke only German. And so it's a German global system that we live in because it was all the colonies established after the Germans took over every country in Europe. Even Spain mm-hmm. was taken over by the Visigoths. It's not taught in the schools. And I dig for that information. (laughs) I love that. And I understand that the way you got into languages was actually through being in the war, that you became a linguist through your time in the war. Is that right? I was was drafted into the army because I dropped out of uh, graduate school because they were talking about how great the English empire is. And my people are Irish, so we don't accept that. They're conquerors, and but yet they have a beauty about them too. And all civilizations are being conquered <laughs> and, and conquering all the time. So there's no judgment. And so, but I wanted to find out the truth. And I thought I have to go out of the bubble of my own culture. Yes. And as I found out later, that's the first step of a shaman to get out of the bubble into which they were born. Mm. They're, loyal to, they're loyal to the place that they were born. They're loyal to the government. They're loyal to everything. And they have the, the sentiments toward that. But that's not the truth. Yes. The job is to get the truth of the whole earth, not from the viewpoint from inside the bubble. When they're looking at another culture, they don't realize they're looking through a filter. Yes. They can't see it. And so you 
you ended up living in, was it Taiwan and China? You ended up learning the language, living. Mainland China except Hong Kong. But I lived in Taiwan for two years. Yeah. And Taiwan, the Chinese, traditional Chinese is spoken there. The, what they call the fan tzu, their traditional characters. It was simplified on the mainland to make it easier to learn. But they lost a, vo- a lot of information with that change. But it, w- it was the chi- Taiwan was the real China yes. because they studied the ancient scholars of China. And I felt that I was very lucky to be there and to learn it. And it's my favorite language because it's the only language in the world that does not conjugate verbs. Yes. The verbs yeah. are changed. I love, I, love, <laughs> I love that. And I'm interested to know, I've heard you share about, you know, the different languages and the different study and then going on to teach, you know, I guess, multiculturalism within the schools yes, and things yes, like that. Yes. How did you, I also just feel to speak into your relationship with Nobi, I'm actually very interested to know how the two of you met and how you ended up. The luckiest day of my life. (laughs) Yeah. Can you share about that? I had gotten back from Taiwan and in back of my mind was to study Japanese because the Japanese were always going out and sending missionaries to study in China and find out about Buddhism. They were really interested in that. And so they have records of ancient China that had been burned uh, by certain dynasties. And so they have uh, Tang Dynasty records that are not extant in China itself. So I wanted to go and learn Japanese. But I was a hippie. I got once you get back, you get culture shock. I thought I had not changed. But once I learned a language that deeply, I developed another person inside myself. And that person is a Chinese person. And that person person pops out and speaks for me sometimes. And sometimes I'll be talking in one language and I switch over and that language comes out and speaks. Mm -hmm. So it's another me inside there. And it changes the shape of your mound and even the shape of your face because your musculature will change. And like my wife always said, when she went back to Japan, to the countryside, and her mom looked at her and said, who are you? Because she was speaking English and her face changed. Yes. And that's the shock. You think you were the, you're the same, but you're not. <laughs> so you came back from living abroad and you met Nobi. Yes. But after that, I, I, I had an opportunity to go to Japan. It's an amazing miracle. I had no money. And all of a sudden, I was in San Francisco here. And my friends said, they all knew I wanted to go to Japan. And there was an advertisement in the San Francisco Chronicle about they want teachers in Japan. I applied and they said, come, we'll pay for everything. Just come. I got sick. I couldn't go for a couple of months and I was afraid to call, but I called and I said, I can't come. I have hepatitis, not the serious one, hepatitis B, I think it was. And they said, don't worry, just get better and come. It's magic. The place is magic. (laughs) So did you meet Nobi in Japan? Is that right? No, I met her here. She had come to study at uh, Lewis and Clark College. I was in Oregon. 
when I met her. And we were at the, what they now call Ikari. It's a Japanese religion related to Shinto. And it used to be the Kyusei-kyo, but it evolved. And they used their hand and the light from each other to heal each other. And I met her there, and that's it. It just, everything just fell into place. We were destined for each other. I absolutely love it. And you now have two adult children, is that right? Three. Three. Three children. Three grandchildren. We're here taking care of the grandchildren. Lovely. My wife decides everything, so I get dragged around to this house or that house because she rules the home where we are. (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love it. And so you do many things and, um, you know, how we met was obviously through the context of the Mayan astrology and the Mayan shamanship. How did you come specifically to get involved in in the Mayan culture? I was always looking for something different. That's why I went to China. I went to Japan. I studied Vietnamese. I studied British. But when I came upon the Maya, the older ones, the Aztecs are younger. They came in later. And the Maya had predecessors called the Olmec. And the Olmec in Aztec language, Olmec means the rubber people. They were the first people to play with the rubber ball that we know of in the world. And all of our ball games are coming from that. Mm -hmm. And that ball game, that's like we say, this is the ball game. That's life, playing the ball game. And the Maya just had a depth and a connection with nature that just struck me right away because for them, there is no hierarchy of being. All entities on the earth, including rocks, plants, and animals, are independent soul entities. And the, the, the error, I think, of the Western philosophy is making the, the God as a, a human being. And that, and if anything would be the highest life form, it's the entity that gave us food. And that's the plant, the only one that can do that. And all of our intelligence comes from the plant and the animals. What we eat becomes our intelligence. And so this is the way the Maya looked at the world. And it was completely different from anything I'd ever heard before. So like you, I was just... I'm astounded. (laughs) That. And how did you specifically get into doing astrology? Is that something you've been interested in or is that because it's such an informative part of the culture and, and how did that come to be? Yeah, for the Maya, everything is trying to talk with us, but we're not open to accepting its language. Trees are equal to us. They're not below us. They are talking to us all the time, even when the wind blows. And I communicate with them through numbers. Numbers are the basic message vehicle among the entities of Earth. What time did this happen? It's not by, it's not random. I accept the magic, the spontaneous magic that everything is occurring in that moment. 
And in that way, you're alive to all that I, I come across a rock that's out by itself in my path. I pick it up and I put it on my table. It means I, it struck me. And so I put it on my table to speak more. And that is how I conduct my life now by collecting. And so you can see from my table, my altar here, it's filled with rocks and plants and stones. And uh, there's a big uh, mask of Tekum Uman, who was a great Mayan leader of the Iche people. And he sacrificed himself to the forces sent by Cortes to uh, Guatemala. And they were conquered. And they, were, they tried to bury all of that stuff. They burned everything. The Spanish burned everything they could because to them, when they first came into the Americas, they saw that the Aztec cities were bigger than the cities in Spain. And the soldiers said to Cortes, is this possible? What is this? Because it's not mentioned in the Bible. That's the history of the world. How could it not know? And so they decided, oh, because it's the devil. And so they decided to destroy every bit of it. And that became what you call the black legend, that they were hiding, that they were doing that from the rest of Europe. But it was an Englishman who discovered it. I think his name was Hackley. He hacked it. <laughs> I just thought that. And he got through. That's what they were doing. Yeah. Trying to eliminate, and that's what conquerors do. They try to eliminate all that knowledge and put and substitute themselves. Yes. Yeah. It's, it is so sad in a way that, you know, what we know as his story is just a series of stories that people who have conquered, like <laughs> they've written. But I do feel that part of this, you know, this new era that we're moving into is we will become reacquainted and reconnected to a lot of the true history, which has been, you know, pockets of it have been preserved. And even you speak, you know, you share a lot about Edgar Casey's work and a lot of the information that comes through from channeled sources or different places, we will be able to, you know, receive all of that magical information again. I have that book with me. Edgar Casey was a healer. He was arrested in Chicago and New York for healing people without a license, but he healed hundreds of people. It was this magic. And he read the Bible all his life because he never trusted what was coming through him. He had to pick the most sacred thing to him. And the Bible is a sacred book. And I, you can't possibly read the 14,000 or so readings this is the shortcut to the Casey readings. What he said about Atlantis, what he said about Mulamuria, all the remedies that he suggested, there's an index in the back. And you can go and go right to the reading that concerns that information. So it's the shortcut. So I highly recommend that I'll people- put the names of the books that you're referencing below yeah. our interview These so that people reading. can find them. I, it's compiled by Ernest Frager, F-R-E-J-E-R. Okay. And how did you how did you become so deeply connected with the work of Edgar Casey? How did that transpire? A wife. <laughs> Women lead men by the nose. 
Women have hunches. I can't believe, not I can't believe, I can't understand the magic that comes through women. They just have hunches that are correct. And so I've learned to hold judgment. And I usually have a little period of rebellion. Uh, I'm hesitant first, but I come around. (laughs) And so we were, I found myself in a group, but my sister-in-law was in the Edgar Cayce group. And she found it out because her neighbor was a person by the name of Mrs. Graybar, whose um, family owned the Graybar building in New York. And she gave her information about the spirit world. And uh, so she was in my family and she wound up convincing the whole family. At first, my mother, who was strict Roman Catholic, thought she was a demon. (laughs) And then she converted us all. It's absolutely magical. And I love, I mean, you've done lots of interviews and people who are interested in Edgar Cayce and, you know, the deep study that you've done. I would recommend listening to some of the interviews you've done with Regina Meredith, where you talk into a lot of these topics. I, one of the things that stands out to me, just as we're talking about Nobi, is you did say to me at one point, make sure that you find a partner who is more honest than you, who's straight, who, you know, that they're just so... Way more corrupt than she is. Yeah. (laughs) And it's really stayed with me because I feel that there's so much value in that. Like leading up to this interview, I was reflecting on a lot of the things that you've shared with me. And it's not that we've spoken many times but there's been so much that happens in those calls. It's like there needs to be a long integration period because things are unfolding and you've given me specific, for example, animals to work with or like you shared about the time piece and the importance of that. And that had me, because I have always naturally resonated with numerology and numbers are one of the main ways that my guides speak to me. So that then unfolded. And then with the crystal skull and how, you know, I'd love for you to share a little bit about that, actually, because you shared with me the importance in shamanship of having a crystal skull and the true purpose of crystal. And I believe this is also things have come through Edgar Casey's channeling. So would you mind talking a bit about, you know, the skull and even just crystal itself? I find that very fascinating. Well, crystal has a natural electricity in it. We used to have radios, crystal radios. It's a communication device, not with not just with radio waves, as I found out, it is has memory. And crystal has been around forever. And shamans throughout history have always been collecting crystals. Because if you have them with you, and I found out with Earthkeeper, my whole reading just changed. After I purchased that, I didn't purchase it, after I got it, received it, and all of a sudden, it happens subconsciously by doing ceremony with it. Because when you do ceremony, you are, in a way, challenging your belief system. And the Mayan ceremony is red stones to the east, you bow. And because the sun comes up there and manifests everything. Then you move counterclockwise and you bow to the white stones and the clear stones because that's snow and ice of the north. And the American Indian is, oh, it's hard to live up there. You bow for perseverance. 
and it's clear sight. The, the atmosphere up there is clearer, less dust. And so maybe this is what intent, what's intended for us to do. That's all they're doing. Just saying, what does it want us to do? <laughs> and so then you keep going counterclockwise because that's the way the earth moves. And then you go to the west and then the sun goes down there. There's a sadness about that. That's death. The sun is life. And so it's a place of fear. But the flip side of fear is healing. Because most of our illnesses come from our fears. And so we bow with the black stone. So I wear many times the, oh, I buy these at the various places. And this is one Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's hematite stone. And hematite is shiny black, glossy black. But then when you grind it into powder, it's red. Life itself. And so it means don't get depressed. It's just that's not the real blackness is not it. Red is inside of it. The red, the hope of life. So I wear this many all the time, as much, much as I can, because you don't go by. Oh, here it is. Here's, I don't put it on me now because this is breaking. This is a hematite bracelet that I used to wear a lot, but it's getting weaker. <laughs> I have to get a new one. And so. All of these things are intended to help us. That's what they're here for. But the Western mind has decided that there is a, a big macho man in the sky that's doing everything. And that the earth, it seems, is evil in their minds. Stars are fixed and perfect, you often hear. We're not perfect. And this all evil here. And that's feminine. Because it's changing all the time. And a man is suppo was supposedly unchanging and loyal. And they are, and that's their weakness. <laughs> They're loyal to the wrong things, usually to wars. <laughs> and being brave and knighthood and all that stuff. I love when you share about, you know, essentially what we're doing when we go into ceremony is we're putting aside the thinking mind and we're opening up to the dimension of magic and to allow that to come in and yes. part of the gift of the crystal is to allow us to communicate with other dimensions so i'd love yeah. you to share a, a bit about about the crystal aspect of it about the shamanism with the crystal okay and crystal is very much part of the ceremony and ceremony is absolutely important because you're born in a particular culture. You're inculcated with all these thoughts and belief systems. And when you do a ceremony to something that you're, you see a truth in, some people see it in different cultures. I just saw it with the Maya. And if you see that, you do a ceremony that they do. And check it out. What's the harm? But in that way, what you're doing is establishing yourself as the judge. You're creating your own self rather than being a pawn of a particular culture where they lie about the history of the culture and they make it seem like they're wonderful and they never did anything wrong. They're hiding all that they've done. And so it's very good to clear the mind. And it's also something that you do, a ritual, 
And each time you do it, you get more, you more produce within you what we call a self. And I remember that Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the great writer, who was very much into nature, that's why the English poets started to write poems about nature, because of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And he said, the problem with civilizations is that most of the citizenry have no self. They're members of groups. They're social beings. And you cannot go there and learn unless you investigate and study by yourself. Otherwise, you're following. Yes. Like many people follow and they follow the, the ceremony that's coming up Halloween. And they don't even know that Halloween is New Year. Halloween is the new year of the Celtic people of Ireland, Wales, Scotland. And it's the beginning of life because by harvest time, the only thing that's alive left in the field besides the, the, all the, the grass and the plants are brown and dying, the only thing that's alive is the squash, the pumpkin. And he's smiling. That's why the officer, we're not dead. We're coming back. Mm-hmm. He's like a trickster. And they have the idea of the fairies. And the fairies is a metaphor for the bacteria and the little worms and the tiny little things with gossamer wings that will bring the dead things back to life. And it's the magic of the whole thing. But many people are celebrating the holiday, but because it wasn't Christian, it wasn't taught. Yes. It's so amazing how we just follow. Yeah, I absolutely love this. This is one of my favourite things that you share about the importance of essentially self-study, going on your own journey and forming your own conclusions because it feels to me that is at the core of what's happening in our, you know, in the world at the moment is that there's all these groups and people associate so strongly with a group. And it's like they have to stand for the beliefs or the ideology of the group. And this is where a lot of the, you know, the conflict has been happening because people are associating with groups, but they're failing to really have their own, you know, examination or. But they don't know how. Yes, exactly right. Because we've been indoctrinated in the schools not to be individual thinkers. And you're in, a, especially if you're in a rural area, you're in a small mm-hmm. community and life is a crucible and everybody else is believing the same thing. And you start saying something different. Um, I started when I was in college and my friend would say to me, oh, you're believing books. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm trying to get to the truth myself. And people don't know how to do that because they're afraid. Because especially in rural areas, that's the only society you know. And if you start saying something different, you'll be isolated. And people don't want to be isolated and marginalized, so they just sort of stay in there to enjoy the barbecues. But that's not life. Life is deeper than that. Well, it feels like this is all coming to a head at the moment, you know, and I'm interested to get your take on on this because in Obviously, you work with Mayan astrology, I work with Western astrology, but the theme with the Western astrology, with these coming eclipses especially, is everything to do with the relationship axis of, you know, the self versus 
me in groups, me in community, keeping the peace, potentially people-pleasing, things like that. So I'd love to get your view on it from the astrology, what you can see. And I respect it. I respect it. And the word respect is Latin. It means look again. R-E means again and spectare in Latin means to look. You're looking at it again by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I see that astrology came from thousands of years ago. Our ancestors began looking at the skies and theorizing. And so I think each one produced by a culture has its value. And my people come from the Western culture. And so I, in my readings, I also do astrology, but I, I do it in sort of a spontaneous, easy way to understand. Like right now, I know Pluto is in Sagittarius. And Pluto is the most important one. I always start. They've kicked him out now because Pluto represents the subconscious, the underworld. And yeah, it's. Up. I love that you brought up Pluto because to me he feels significant. So in the in the Placidus chart that I use, he would be in Capricorn. But I think it doesn't really matter in terms oh, of. Yes. Like, he's it, right in the border. Right at the border. Yes, it's right and at the border. it's a tough call, right there. Right, he's right there at the border between Capricorn. Capricorn is protected by Saturn, and Jupiter is a Sagittarius protected. It protects Sagittarius. Yeah. Saturn is karma. Yes. And so our festival is Christmas comes from Saturn. Yes. The Romans uh, understood that Saturn, Capricorn, was karma and that everything you do will have repercussions in your soul life and your even in the afterworld. They somehow believed that. So they had a festival called Saturnalia at the, the winter solstice. Right mm-hmm. where we picked our Christmas, and on the, for those seven or two, one or two weeks, the masters would serve uh, food to their slaves, and all anybody in Rome could say anything, no repercussions. So for about seven days to fourteen days, the Romans had scruples; they were worried about what they were doing, <laughs> and that's why they picked that place to be the Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I I love that. And I love that, you know, with the astrology, it doesn't matter because to me, astrology is multidimensional. It doesn't matter which lineage you look at. You can hold all of them. You can look at the Chinese astrology. You can look at the Mayan astrology. It's not that one's right and the other's wrong. You can hold all of them at the same time. But I feel there is something significant. You've spoken before about the eclipse in 2017 that went across America And this coming eclipse, I know, is going to be casting its line. The line of a totality is also going through South America, Central America, North America. And I believe, again, the eclipses in 2024 will also be going through America. So to me, this feels very significant. And I'd love to get your take on what that means. In my last uh, uh, interview with Regina, she brought it out of me. I had no intention of saying it, uh, but she does that. And you do the same thing. <laughs> it's like a Shiva uh, with the eight arms and getting rid of all your attachments. And that's the interviewer to get at the truth. And it is, no, I, where was I? We're just uh, talking about the eclipses because like oh. from my perspective, it's like at the moment, 
everything that's happening in the world, it sort of comes back to America because America has been, you know, it's been the reserve currency. It's a lot, in a lot of ways, it's the central power. It's what has been. And so it feels like we're on this precipice specifically relative to Pluto, the Pluto energy, how that's playing out, and also these eclipses. Yes, and so it was 2017 when I saw the eclipse of 2017, thoughts come, and thoughts are spontaneous things. And many people have thoughts, but it's like part of their imagination. They dismiss them in favor of the rationale that they got in school and everything else, so they deny their psychic power. They deny themselves the thought that comes. And I noticed that eclipse first came in Salem, Oregon. Salem, the place where they persecuted women. It was a sign. And people named capital Salem because it's the last five letters of Jerusalem. And so it's the name of Jerusalem. And that's the religion, one of the religions that dominates the world. Even the Muslims believe in the same book. They believe in the Old Testament. Yes. And the New Testament. And so it dominates the entire world. And it it meant that And it went over, it started in Salem around there, and it's not precise, it's just what came to my mind, because I'm in the red dimension in the Americas as a shaman, teaching that, because the shaman, shamanism in the America, in the Americas is called the red way. Interesting enough, they call these people the red people. And so that is the aura of the spirituality of the ancient Americans. And so an eclipse means they will be eclipsed. And that just came out to Regina. And I've been shocked myself that she brought that out. But that thought came because they will be eclipsed. All these people that are, they'll form one small group in a religion and they become, and they think they're closer to the truth than anybody else. And they take it word for word, and they're busy producing as many children as possible so that they'll outnumber the others. You look Mm. at all the extremist groups and religions, and that's what they're doing. Mm. They They have this idea that you have to follow the exact law in a book that was written thousands of years ago. They hypnotized. Mm. It's sort of this thing of like dogma. Like my way, our way is the only way. There's no room for different perspectives or different cultures or ideologies, um, which is exactly the opposite of what you said shamanism is at the beginning when you said it's to go outside of your culture, to go outside of what you know, to understand something else. It's almost like the extreme of that of we'll stay in our community and we'll only you know, yes. we can only mix with each other, and this is the only way, and everyone else is damned. Because Christianity and Islam became empire religions. Yeah. And it was all edited with the supervision of the king or the emperor. And all the other books that were written with different opinions were kicked out. That's why that big discovery at, what is it, Nag Hammadi, they found many of the books that had different ideas but the churches and the, the authorities of the religion don't accept it because the king, together with the ministers following his orders, accepted something that would be helpful to establish an empire. 
Yes, and And I think this is so pivotal to everything, including the astrology. It's like anything that would have people connect back to the their the ancient ways or the esoteric knowledge, the wisdom in the skies, all of these things were kept from the people so that they would be more controllable because when we're disconnected from our magic or the magic that exists, we're easier to control. And that feels like a lot of what's transpiring at the moment is people coming back to, like your average everyday people having the opportunity to come back to, oh, I'm actually a creator being, I am magical, I can connect with, you know, these things outside of me rather than just being a worker bee. And so to get the truth of the world, we have to get to as many cultures as possible. So I'm studying many languages and many cultures. I just started concentrating on on Australia. I hadn't studied it in depth before and realizing that we have people from 65, 70,000 years ago that arrived there with a multiplicity of languages that is unbelievable. Some 200, over 200 languages amongst the indigenous people of Australia. It's because they came from Indonesia and all sorts of places, down from Africa also, uh, in New Guinea. The word Guinea means the black people, okay? The Nikritos, the small ones. And the level of the ocean was not as deep. And so there were more islands around there, and the transportation from Ireland to Australia was easier. Mm-hmm. And that's how they came. And they have a magic. Yes. All of them. Yeah. And I love that you shared with me the places that we'd been together before, because one of oh, the yeah. things that stands out to me was that we have had lives in Australia, and you mentioned certain locations there as well as Peru and different places but I do have a dreaming that we'll one day be able to visit some of these places together um I think one of them was in Arnhem Land and that would be an amazing pilgrimage to actually go and see would be wonderful you know these caves which we most likely physically (laughs) were in yeah That would be so great because they each have a story for us. When you go there, it's not accident. Because what what I came to feel, not believe, because you're speaking English and the word believe comes from lieben. It means to fall in love or to prefer. Like if I say, I prefer something. As a scholar, I cannot prefer anything. The greatest achievement of a human being is the achievement of having an open mind to all things. Try them out. Be yourself and be independent. If you're attracted to that, go with it because your design is unique. Nobody has been like you before. Nobody will ever be like you. There's so many different things that make you up their original. And in Buddhism, I accept the idea that we designed ourselves. That's where my mind goes right now. We designed ourselves uniquely. And in that uniqueness is the heart of our power. When you read a book, nobody will interpret the book the same as you do. You are capable of interpreting it and saying things completely original that nobody else has ever said. 
And that develops in a person what they call shamanic resonance. Mm-hmm. Resonate with certain resonate with certain souls, and they are intended of you in this lifetime. So you were my teacher many times before. That's why you decided to call me. It's not by accident. There's very little that's random here. Yeah. Uh, and that's at the core what I got from Edgar Casey is that there are five areas of the earth that are that produced our five races, the colors. What a strange story. And he was a, uh, an entity in Atlantis by the name of Amelius, A-M-I-L-I-U-S. And he saw that we were forgetting our ourselves because we were producing things from our own imaginations and believing what we produced. And so that's a theory. But anyway, you take parts of it, different things. Whatever is in your imagination to take, you take. Do it. And so the red area, he said, that's the Americas. And he said, that is the place of feelings. And that's the only place because it has the blood. The blood represents the feel. The, uh, it goes everywhere around the body. The other four senses are in the skull. Only one sense goes beyond feeling. And so America had a special, the Americas had a special destiny here because they could, they had a culture that was designed by the food available there. In other words, I have them here, the tomato, avocado, corn, chocolate, all came from the Americas and no place else. And that food that they ate here anciently produced a different consciousness. And so I want to learn about each of those consciousnesses. And so I want to go to Australia. (laughs) Yes, we'll have to organize it. I'm I'm really excited for that. And you could come and bring Earthkeeper. And I feel that's something that will happen. We'll just wait for the right timing. Thank Um, you so much. That's a a gift to me right now. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, that would be amazing. Well, I feel that, you know, we could talk all day because we do get into a... Yeah, a, a time vortex, but I'm just really appreciative for you and, and coming to share. And I'd love to, you know, just give you an opportunity to talk about what it is that you're working on at the moment, you know, how people can get in contact with you if they'd like to work with you, but what's present for you right now? You're a wonderful interviewer. Thank you. Oh so privileged that you called me because you were my teacher before. That's how it is. The people who call me were my teachers before because they're the ones that resonate with the thought of the of people who have been shamans many times before. And they know this truth deeply within. And so my work is facilitating the shamanship of as many souls as possible because we need many people who have a self to evaluate things by themselves instead of becoming a groupie. And this group mind that makes people have wars with each other, it's no sense. There were many people that disagreed, but they would, they, their voices were too small. And so the more shamans we have, the greater the voice of a reasonability in things. And so I have a website called RaymondTarpy.com. Simple, 
all small letters, my name, R-A-Y-M-O-N-D-T-A-R-P-E-Y.com. And you can go and get in touch with me and see what I've said about the crystal skull and find out our email address and everything. My Our email is nobtarpey, N-O-B, Tarpey, T-A-R-P-E-Y. I'll put uh, all of your links below so that so people good. can e- easily find you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll do that for you. You're so wonderful. Wow. And what good. about your current work? So I know that you do a lot of different research and, you know, what is it that you're currently interested in? What's sparking your imagination at the moment? It's whatever comes. Like recently, because you called, I looked at Australia again. And I realize how much I have missed there. It's a great continent. And it's early, very early. They have secrets because the ancient people were closer to nature. And that's where the intelligence is. It's not in this. We only are as intelligent as we commune with nature. But we start to think it's us, and therefore we make God into a human being. Because that's the highest thing. And the kings love that because then you have to go through the king to pray. (laughs) You don't have to go through anyone. We are independent beings with reason and imagination. The language of the soul is your imagination. And let your, what I try to do is free people up and give them ways to, and techniques to become known and to, and Find out the Mayan, the Chinese astrology, or Western astrology, and also the companions that are destined to you based on all the information of your birth, where you were born. It's like the number of Perth, Western Australia is 21. That's the shaman plus one, another level. The two sacred numbers of the calendar are 13 and 20. And the calendar is, is the Mayan number system has only three numerals, one, five, and zero. And with those three, they can say any number that we have. It's amazing. And that is the number system of the Chinese abacus. That's how I know that China was here before. The people of the Shang, what they call the Law Shang, They came, and that's why the Mayans have this writing system that's pictures. Just Mm -hmm. like Chinese writing comes from pictures. They would heat shells like turtle plastrons on the underneath of the turtle, and from the cracks, they would divine and use their imagination, and that's where Chinese characters came from. It's so, all through imagination. It is. And it's also that thing about a picture tells a thousand words. You can say so much through a picture. Yes. So it's magical. But I I feel that we'll have to do another chat because there's so much to share and so much to say. I just love it. Thank you so much. I love it. And I am very excited. I feel a seed has been planted for this Australian pilgrimage. So we'll have to organize that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But uh, thank you. And also to Earthkeeper. And also to Nobi because she is the one that supports all of the logistics. Oh, and, you know, Nobi, you're yeah, really, you're a, a trio. I see you as yourself, Nobi and Earthkeeper. 
and she'll put a she wants to put a leash on me because if I'm visiting a site, I don't stay with the tour group. I leave and I just stay here and stay there. So she's always she appoints somebody to monitor me. That's what well, thank you again for being here, Raymond. I appreciate you and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thank you so much. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to click subscribe to be notified of new episodes as they're released. And if you would like to show your support for the podcast, please leave a review of what you've enjoyed and any donations are also much appreciated. You can follow me on Instagram at Becoming Iris Podcast and stay up to date with all of my offerings, including one-on-one sessions, courses and retreats. I hope you'll join me next time on Becoming Iris for more Starseed Stories.